Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hadley and welcome to another edition of the Viewfinder Podcast. Life's most critical moments, and the lessons we learn upon experiencing them, frequently come when we're faced with extreme adversity. For my guest on this week's show, filmmaker Creighton Hobbs, overcoming adversity has literally been the story, or to be more accurate, stories, of his remarkable life. In his new documentary feature film, How Many Chances?, Hobbs takes audiences on a gripping personal recollection of his life, one filled with extraordinary stories of heartbreak, wonder, joy, love, and survival against absurdly long odds. Beginning in his childhood, with an unexplained baseball accident that forced him to be hospitalized, Hobbs has survived 26 car crashes, struggles with drugs and gangs in his teen years, and a frightening stint in juvenile prison. On top of all that, Hobbs has died, only to come back to life five different times. Yet, that's just scratching the surface of his unbelievable journey. However, as Hobbs will explain in this upcoming interview, those incredible experiences have taught him as much about how fortunate he is to still be alive today as they have about making the right choices in life. It's those lessons that he aims to pass on to everyone who watches How Many Chances, which will premiere sometime this August via streaming video. I'm pleased to have Creighton as my guest on this week's show. Creighton, welcome. Your production company, Creighton Films, is distributing how many chances? What made you want to become a filmmaker, and were there any filmmakers whose works inspired and impacted you as you began to study the craft? Well, when I was a little kid, I, you know, when I was seven years old, that's when I, you know, diagnosed diabetes. So... I was sick a lot, and I watched movies. I'm talking like the VHS. You put it into the VCR and shut the... You know, (laughs) there was no such of a thing even of the internet back then. So, (laughs) right? I mean, and I was able to just fall in love with movies. And I realized that, like, when I would feel good on the days, like... We had one of those, gar- I, we still have it, I still, for nostalgic purposes, but one of those gargantuan cameras. And yeah. I would take little Star Wars action figures and things like that and make my own Star Wars movie. And, we, you know, I just tried to, you know, fast forward, rewind, hit the buttons and then say, okay, I like this little clip. And <laughs> I had this whole weird rigged up deal in the 80s of and i was like wow i made a movie you know and i was eight years old at the time but that's where i fell in love with it and the as i became older the people that really inspired me the one person was really alfred hitchcock and quentin tarantino because they were Guys that, you know, they didn't go to a film school at all. They didn't go to any accredited thing like that. And they came in, they know how to tell a story. And it just, they just, I don't know if all the stars and the night was aligned correctly. And they just (laughs) had the luck of the Irish with them or something. or But they was able to get their art out there and... You know, Alfred Hitchcock was a guy in 
you know, in midlife, and he started just taking Hollywood by storm. So he is a very, very big inspiration for me. How many chances... How many chances the film is based on the autobiography you wrote of the same name, which you wrote several years ago, about all the incredible experiences that you've gone through, dying and coming back to life five times, a multitude of car crashes, 26, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. But either way, that's amazing. All that plus brushes with the notorious Dixie Mafia, which was kind of like a vigilante police force in your hometown of Escatawpa, Mississippi, which really had no proper police department, as you say, as well as a stint in prison during your teen years when you were hanging around around with some bad, bad kids, among other things. What were some of the main reasons why you wanted to retell these stories on film and what ultimately inspired you to make this as a movie? Well, I wanted to give everybody the truth. Uh, You know, I didn't want to hide anything whatsoever because I remember going through, you know, uh, all these tribulations and I was like, okay, I didn't have anybody to relate to. I didn't feel like there was nobody on TV at that time, you know, in the 90s. It was just like, you know, silly sitcoms and you know what I mean that kind of thing it was just like nothing I could you know like there's nobody out there that really understands this and I wanted to be honest truthful and no matter how grim or dark but if some young person is out there and they're gangbanging and they get in trouble if they could watch this and they would be like, well, you know what? This guy, he was on the same path as me, but he got out of it. And I think I can too. You've also included several interviews with your dad and a good friend of yours that you've met later in life. What's her name? Bernice. Yeah, you met her and you included those interviews with both your dad and Bernice. Several, And you, you included those interviews in How Many Chances along with your first-hand accounts of everything. Talk about how their memories of those things that you went through helped to enhance your recollections of those incidents in this film. Well, it really, really helped me because uh, (laughs) I guess it's just kind of like a director in me. When When a director is looking through a camera lens at something else, they can see the story. And when I would see, like, my dad and Bernice tell their story then uh i was like able to see it uh, revisit that all again because like my memory uh is very much like robert langdon's off of dan brown's novels uh da vinci code and angel angels and demons you know, uh, I, I don't know if you, but I'm sure you've seen the movies, right? I haven't seen the movies, but I am familiar with with the titles of those books. And okay, so Robert Lang Langdon, he was like, he didn't have photographic memory, but it was as cl- pretty close to that, and that's the way my brain kind of operates. So when my dad and Bernice was telling these stories, it was like I was watching a movie in my head, you know, like, oh my God, they forgot to tell that one part, you know, (laughs) 
<laughs> so it was really, you know, to me, wonderful to live and relive those memories that they've had and to just have those wonderful experiences because, you know, a lot of people, they don't have their dads anymore, and they, you know, that type of thing. And I read in the last interview that you did that your mom, you tried to get your mom in this film, but she's kind of camera shy. Yeah, she, oh my God, she used to not be like that. She used to be the life of the party and taking pictures and, you know, making funny faces. But as she's gotten 75 years old, she's like, I look horrible. No, I don't want to be on camera. (laughs) Just let your dad tell the story. Okay, mom, you know, I want to do it. Uh, Ah, (laughs) You've met a lot of people, both good and bad, throughout the incredible life you've led. Without spoiling anything in the film, which ones do you feel truly stand out, and which ones do you feel have made the greatest impact on you today? The ones that... The good that's really made an impact on me is my father. Um, My my dad is my hero. Um, He is... If I could be just half the man he was, uh, I think I should win an award of some kind of <laughs> something. I mean, he taught me so much in life. Um, and now, as in the bad, oh my God, I could have made a whole nother docuseries about that. Uh, like, the Dixie Mafia, some of them, you know, like... Uh, you know, they would tell me these stories, whether they were true or not, but it would give you nightmare. Oh, it gave me nightmares, you know, like, oh my God. You know, it's like, so, yeah, I've learned to take the good with the bad, but now as I've gotten older and a little bit wiser, um, you know, just, I stay away from negativity and I stay away from the, I try not to be a negative influence, almost like a motivational speaker. <laughs> yeah. Of all the moments that you've recalled and how many chances, one that unfortunately stands out is the death of your niece and nephew. What was it like talking about that on film? Well, yeah, the, they were my godchildren. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Natalie and Chase. That, that was a very tough, tough thing. Because, you know, um, when you're, uh, and you being from Louisiana, you could understand this. Uh, when somebody says, I'm your godfather. That kind of relationship and the responsibility that you have as a godparent is something that you, you cherish, you value. And unfortunately, Creighton, that responsibility was sadly taken away from you when they were murdered. Yeah, it was, and, you know, the one thing that, when I had to revisit this part of my life, is I learned something about grief. You know, grief, it, it'll show its ugly head at different times in your life. It really will. It's like, okay, I've, I've moved, you know, I'm able to move and start each day anew. You know, and I'm able to function and this and that. But sometimes grief will just, boop, it'll pop back up. And 
I, I literally felt like I was grieving over again. So it took me days to just to get my head together, you know, after so I could just continue to work on how many chances. So it was um, very, very tough to revisit that. One other story that you told that stands out is among the five life and death experiences you've had where you've died and then come back to life, one you still remember. Talk about that without going into any real spoilers again and how how you felt telling that story on camera. Well, really, I didn't mind. Uh, that did not upset me at all. Uh, you know, like, uh, it got me emotionally... You know, it touched touches me every time I, you know, <laughs> I talk about it to somebody. But um, it's it was very uh, like I don't know. It was just um, it was very smooth and very easygoing for me to tell the tale of what happened and what I experienced and what I saw, and and it was very fun editing that as well because. Like, I was able to hire voice actors and, you know, not to give away spoilers, <laughs> but there's certain little aspects in there, different real voice actors. Which of your stories was the most fun to tell in this film and why? Really, for me, the part that was fun was... For at the very end of, and I'm not giving away spoilers, but I'm just telling every the when y'all everybody watches it. Yeah. At the end, there's fun stories that people I do the interview with they tell about my life, you know, just from their own memory. And to me, that was the funnest part uh, <laughs> that I got a laugh or a chuckle or maybe smile. And you know, when I did the uh, screen testing as well. I had a private screen testing with just a few of my friends and people that I know that would be very critical to me and be honest with me. And when I saw their expressions, like them smiling and kind of chuckling and this and that, I was like, wow, okay, so that's right on cue. So I had a lot, a lot of fun with that. It's astonishing for someone like yourself to go through even one of the many incidents that you survived in your lifetime, but it's incredible to experience a multitude of lucky breaks and near misses as you've gone through. How have those experiences helped you to grow as both a person and a storyteller? And on top of that, what have been some of the biggest lessons you've learned from all of those experiences? Some of the biggest lessons... And that and it's helped me through storytelling is you know I'm able to re go back to my mind and go to a certain aspect of you know whatever memory it may be <clears throat> and and if I'm trying to some people are different some people you can have a serious conversation but some people you have to you know, comedically get your point across, uh, you know, to each their own and that type of thing. Uh, so I'm, I was able to learn and craft my storytelling much, much better through not only this documentary, but 
through just talking to people, you know. I don't being not just the director of How Many Chances, but also the subject of this film, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced in making How Many Chances, and how did you address them? Sometimes it was tough, because, uh, like, uh, I am, you know, or I try to, I used to try to keep things a bit private in my life, and and that is in part where, you know, just being around the Dixie Mafia, they they <laughs> they kind of uh, you know train you to shut up and don't speak about things <laughs> you know uh so when i was filming it there was times like i told them all just you know key rigs or people who were working sound or just there to help me set things up i was like okay y'all need to get out of the room y'all just need to let me be someone hit record and then <laughs> go <laughs> and let me go with it. Um, sometimes I didn't have none of the crew there because I just needed that space to tell the story. And sometimes I really needed them there. Like when I spoke about my godchildren, Natalie and Chase, uh, I didn't have them in the room, but uh, they were there because I know I, I needed them there to hold me or give me a hug and then you know they kind of like knew how to handle me along with filmmaking one of your other big interests is pro wrestling and that has played a big role in several of the stories both good and bad and how many chances without going into spoilers again for those who haven't seen the movie talk about how that sport has tied to some of the experiences you've had and how it continues to impact your life today. Oh my God. Oh, uh, pro wrestling. Woo. All right. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, yeah. and again, this is where I could have made a docu-series. Yeah. If I would have made this, my life into a docu-series, this would have been an hour and a show. I would have been worse than Jim Cornette talking probably. But, uh, so, what I've learned and the lessons from pro wrestling is that the big thing for me is you don't have to be blood to be family. You really don't. I mean, if you love somebody and you're not blood related, but you say, this is my brother, this is my sister. Um, it's very like, very much like that with me and Brandon. Uh, deal, which he wasn't in how many chances, but uh, it's the same thing with pro wrestling. And because in pro wrestling, you know, they're on the road constantly, going from show to show in these small little towns, and who you've got on the road, that's who your family is at that time. You, you know, you don't have your friendly neighbor that is right next door that can come over and help you change a flat tire. It's who you're riding with. <laughs> it's yeah. that person that you're going to these shows and you're staying in these cheap hotels and uh, eating gross fast food or, you know, or just eating, uh, you know, sometimes you wouldn't get paid and you had to figure out a way to get home. And it's just, yeah, I've learned a really lot from that. And I also learned how to really handle and deal with the public as a 
a mass of them. You know, not one-on-one. I'm, I'm very, you know, my cool, I'm down, I'm, you know what I mean? I'm very good. But when I'm dealing with, like, hundreds of people and stuff, I know how to deal and handle with it. So I'm not, like, you know, sitting there shaking. <laughs> and yeah. like, ooh, I'm nervous, you know. Yeah. It always helps to have somebody in your corner. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you know, there's just gobs of wrestling stories that, like I said, I could turn How Many Chances into a docuseries. And... By the way, the man you mentioned earlier, um, Brandon, he's a wrestler too? No, 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 no. Brandon, uh, no, he is... Brandon Deal is somebody that I grew up with, like, literally since diapers. Yeah, I mean, it was that, and we've been best friends see god i'm 44 years old so 44 years wow uh yeah and he's family i can walk into his mama's house or his sister's house anytime and him his kids uh you know his fiance his sister they can just walk on up in my house and it's like oh hey you know (laughs) and we're just that way in what ways do you feel how many chances can help audiences regardless of who they are or what they do in their lives, or what situation they're in, to make the right decisions for themselves. I I think that what would happen to help them make a decision is it'll help them the the people watching it do what I call a a soul search. You know that it's like okay, well, you know I saw how Creighton handled this. I'm not exactly sure that's what I would have done, you know, uh, you know, or it would have been like, maybe it would help them say, you know, I'm going through a similar thing, but maybe I should call and ask my priest or ask my preacher or uh, ask my grandfather or my dad or my mom or grandma and get their advice. So I'm hoping that if somebody is going through something, it would lead you to the right way to get the right advice. But, and if that's not what you're going through, well, I hope it's just, you're, you're just somebody who wants to be nosy and find out about somebody that you never heard of. <laughs> well, regardless, I mean, they're going to, whoever watches this is going to get a lot of good stories. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, as for you, given where things stand with COVID-19 and with your ongoing health issues, as you mentioned, with diabetes, what's life like for you now, and how are you coping with everything these days? Well, that's easy. I've uh, I've become the life of a hermit. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, they're like, don't go outside. And I'm like, hey, you ain't got to tell me twice, brother. You know, I don't care who you are. But I do... Go. I'm not like a bad hermit. I'm like, but I when I go, I go to the store, you know, and I wait till I know there's not a lot of people in there. It's kind of like I go at oddish times, like at two or three in the afternoon, and I wear the face mask. I keep social distancing. I basically I just use my common sense, you know. It's the best thing to do. And and 
so far so good. I've never, you know, been sick with anything. I just, you know, I just, I try to tell people, look, just use your common sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hey, don't just go in the store, be polite, but just be safe. And if you, uh. if you go in there and buy something, well, okay, just come home and put on some Germex or wash your hands or something or well, I definitely hope you continue to stay safe and, and continue to do well and protect yourself. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, I, I, that's it's scary about what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and I think, didn't I, I think I, and this is, well, I guess that is a little spoiler, so you can blame me, but didn't I speak okay. about Corona? In the how many chances? Yeah. yeah, that's right. I sure did. I did put that in there, and uh, so, but yeah, and uh, so yeah, I speak about that. We talked about your production company, Creighton Films. What's the main mission of that company, and in what ways does How Many Chances help to carry forward its overall mission? Well, the the mission, you know, uh, so like, hmm. So, like, the main mission of the overall success, is that the right one? Uh, no, I, basically what I asked is the mission of your production company and how does, how many chances carry it forward? Oh, right, right. Okay, sorry. Um, basically, I think that how many chances will carry the torch, per se. It's kind of like, um, I like to think of it as... You know, I don't know why anybody in real life would do this, but if you're if you had a stick with something a cloth wrapped around the tip of it and you lit it on fire, that would be how many chances going down a dark road, leading the way for new and bigger and better films that we want to do in life. So it's kind of like if. Uh, you know, like Bloomhouse, Blum, I'm sorry, Blumhouse, you know, when they yeah. first did The Purge, you were like, that's totally hooked. <laughs> and you were like, oh, I want to see more and more of this. And then they started going nuts with it. But uh, it's the same thing with me. I want how many chances to lead the way for new and bigger and better things. And speaking of which, what are some of the other projects, if any, that you're working on now? Well, Right now, I am writing, and I am currently writing a biopic. Now, with a with something that's called a biopic, it's. Um, have you ever seen that movie American Gangster? No, I haven't. Okay, uh, or have you ever seen uh, Hatfield and McCoy's? No. Or <laughs> Wyatt Earp. The one with Kevin Costner? No, I, I haven't seen any of those films. Okay, either. so, well, those movies are, like, movies that are based on real life. You know, and it's, so that's what I'm doing. I'm taking a real-life story, and the name of it is called The Last of the Old-Time Lawmen. And who's it about? This is going to be about my great-grandfather. Hmm. And my great, to, you know, make a long story short, but to, 
a lot of people they think Wyatt Earp was the last kind of cowboy, you know, type thing. Yeah. You know, uh, law cowboy that. It's right. not true. Uh, my great grandfather was. I mean, he was for real the last of the all time lawmen. Uh, for example, uh, you know, the first day on the job, there was a guy who was like six foot tall and 200 and something pounds. He was a big boy, drunk, and he was at the town square, and this is like in the 20s. Well, uh, you know, he. He walked up to the guy and said, you really need to stop all this. And the big guy, you know, he pointed at my great-grandfather, who was only four or five. He was like a hobbit, you know, for real. He was like a little yeah. bitty hobbit. And he pointed at him and said, what are you going to do, little man? So, <laughs> you know, he jumped straight up in the air and pulled out his revolver and popped him right in the head with the butt of his gun. Mm. Bow! And then took his legs over his shoulders and drug his butt to jail. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems too good to be true. Yeah, so, you know, this happened in the 20s, and there's just stories after stories. Not like that, but like, oh my god, this was happening in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and 60s, and I mean, it's just amazing, you know, and like... When he got, you know, the city council fired him for being the sheriff. Well, him and his son went up to the city council meeting that night and beat the hell out of every last one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and the mayor. I mean, wow. <laughs> it was in Mississippi? Uh-uh, this is in Alabama. Oh, yeah. Citronelle, Alabama. So there's just gobs of stories like that that I'm working it into a movie, you know. Mm. Well, I wish you all the best of success with that project. I look forward to reading and possibly seeing it one day. In closing, as for how many chances, what are your overall hopes for the film's success? Well, honestly, I'm just like any other filmmaker. I hope it reaches as many people as possible. But honestly, I really hope that it helps someone out in this big, wide world you know, to either make their dream come true or just to help them with something that they're going through in life or just to have something to think about in life or maybe, you know, how many chances could be and inspire them to, you know, inspire to create. Because I always believe it's like um, if, you, if you're a podcaster, make a show no matter what. If you're a video, if you like making videos, make a video. If you're a singer, sing. If you're a dancer, dance. If you're a musician, play your music. Go out there and create. And I hope that maybe someone younger uh, would, like your niece, you know, would watch this and be like, he could have done that, or I could have done that so much better than what he did. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I would be right there and be like, yes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of people say I'm an aspiring writer or aspiring actor or aspiring dancer. But if you're already involved in those things, to me, you already are a writer. You already are a dancer. You already are an actor. You already are a singer. I mean, you're not just aspiring to do it. I mean, aspiring means that you want to do something. But if you are already involved in the, in the profession 
even though you're just starting out, you're still doing it. Exactly. I agree 100%. If you're doing it, and this is what you love, and this is your passion, keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. And that's a great way of putting it and a great way of closing this podcast. Creighton, thank you so much for coming on to talk about how many chances and your work with your production company, Creighton Films. And I wish you all the very best of success with everything going forward and with your pursuits as a filmmaker. Congratulations again on the film. And thank, thank you so thank much you, for coming man. on. Thank you for having me. I was You're very so welcome. happy to be on here. It was really fun. And it's happy to have you here, too. That's the Viewfinder podcast for this week. I'm Chris Hadley. Until next time, please stay safe, stay healthy, and stay put.